Good morning, everybody. There we go. There we go. Now we're talking. All right. Well, welcome to Regeneration. My name is Steve, and I'm the associate pastor here for our community, and it's good to see you guys. I'm glad that you're here. If you have a Bible, open to the book of 2 Peter, and we're going to look at chapter 2, beginning in verse 10. So 2 Peter 10 through verse 22, the end of the chapter. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones, whereas angels, although greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgressions. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For, speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person to that, he is enslaved. For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. The word of the Lord. I really wanted Pastor Steve to preach today. Uh, Just to be honest, I don't like these kind of things that uh, are talking down on people, but it's the truth, and so we can't skip it. And so that's what we'll be covering this morning, just this very challenging portion of Scripture. Peter has written in some very strong language, as Pastor Steve has just recited to us, And it can be off-putting to some people, and I totally understand that. So if you're visiting for the very first time, or if you've only visited us for a few times, please complain to Pastor Steve. (laughs) We as a church, we look chapter by chapter, verse by verse through the scriptures, and so what we have before us this morning is a continuation of Peter's second letter here, which is a warning to the church. So let me just pray for us, and we'll get started. Father, we thank you for your word, and we realize, God, that Your heart is holy, pure, and righteous, and what you're getting across to us, Lord, is out of love and out of grace, and I pray, Lord, that that comes across in the message this morning, that you are represented well, that you're not represented as a grumpy God, as so many people can view you as such, because we have misrepresented, we have misspoken, and so, Lord, may you use this servant this morning to represent you well, and I pray, God, for people's hearts and minds and ears to be open to what you have to say to them. In Jesus' name, amen. 
This warning that Peter has for us can be summarized here in chapter 2, verse 1. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. So Peter wrote this letter to a church dealing with issues in regards to false prophets and teachers 2,000 years ago. We're still dealing with these issues today in the church. Now, what are these issues? I think if you kind of whittle it down, it's these things, doubt and wickedness. These people didn't believe in the return of Jesus. They didn't believe in the judgment from God. And when there isn't a belief in Jesus' return or that there is a judgment from God, then the wickedness is inevitable in people's lives. Judgment was shared about last week, but in that judgment we know, according to verse 9, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. Praise God. And continuing on in that verse, and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Now we don't know the specifics of what Peter was addressing because those aren't provided to us in detail, but in the following verses we do have Peter's description of the people who were acting ungodly. Now you look at some of the descriptions Peter uses for these unrighteous people. Verse 12, it says irrational animals. Verse 13, blots and blemishes. Verse 14, accursed children. Verse 17, waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. Verse 19, slaves of corruption. So, Peter, tell us what you really think about these people. This is not a happy speech, right? This is... This is pretty harsh, and we know that Peter was a fisherman, and this is as close to Peter gets to cussing like a sailor. So here it is, and at first glance, it seems that Peter, man, you're, you're kind of rude, right? Uh, do you have to say what you just wrote down here? What, what he has written here is, is pretty offensive. It's pretty disrespectful, isn't it? Accursed children, irrational animals, blots and blemishes. I mean, these aren't kind things to say about people. It's clear that Peter was upset. Now, why was he upset? Because these people were hurting others with their arrogant unrighteousness. And when people hurt those whom you love, your demeanor changes, doesn't it? I mean, just imagine the intimate relationship between a young child and their loving parent. And so you imagine some older child or some adult who comes in and starts deceiving that young child and harming that child with lies and introducing them to destructive ways. There is no loving parent who will just stand idle and do nothing for their young child whom they love. They would intervene. They would say something. They would do something. And like a shepherd taking care of their flock, The sheep are susceptible to wolves who are looking to destroy them. And the shepherd doesn't reason with the wolf. Now, bad wolf, you step back. I don't like you, wolf. You're mean. Like He doesn't say that. He forcefully takes action because destruction is that wolf's aim. He does something about it. He acts upon it. Now, carrying on, verse 10. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones, whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. 
But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. See, these ungodly people, they tend to be arrogant. They tend to be proud. They detest any authority, God's authority. They even detest the authority of darkness. Look at verses 10 and 11. They blaspheme the glorious ones, whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. This is what Jude says, verses 8 through 10. Yet in like manner, these people also relying on their dreams defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious one. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. See, these false teachers, these false prophets do things that even the archangel Michael would not do. Here's the background of the story. Moses died. And so Satan wanted the body of Moses. Why? Because Moses is going to be one of the two witnesses along with Elijah to appear at the transfiguration and also to appear at the second coming of Jesus Christ. So to prevent any of that prophecy from coming true, he wants the body of Moses. Then they won't appear. He won't appear in a bodily form at the transfiguration or at the second coming of Jesus. And so Satan fights for Moses' body as an attempt to prevent Moses' bodily appearance at these significant events. Because Satan knows the scriptures. Satan knows prophecy. And so he contends with Michael for the body. But notice what Michael does or doesn't do. The Archangel Michael. This is like God's Jason Bourne, right? Like this is Archangel Michael. And he doesn't presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment at all against Satan. What does he do? He says, the Lord rebuke you. I'm not even going to go there. Yet these false teachers, these prophets, they blaspheme all that they do not understand. They will claim to have power over darkness when they don't. This is how arrogant they are. This is how they assume, presume that they have power when they don't. Not even the archangel Michael attempts such blasphemy. But these false prophets, these false teachers, they will do this. They will speak against those who are actually greater in power and in glory. And they'd even make a mockery out of it. This is not a smart thing to do, you know? Satan and the demons don't need any more motivation to destroy you and me. They don't need that. It would be wise to follow the counsel of Peter and Jude. It would be wise to follow Michael's example and not do what false teachers and false prophets do. You keep God between the powers of darkness and yourself. There's no reason for you to enter into it. That's dumb. You ask God to do it. God does it. God rebukes. The Lord rebukes. And you look at verse 12. Blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant. They don't even know what they're talking about. They don't know what they're doing. Their lusts, their ungodly passions, they have no direction but unto themselves. They're like animals, just instinctual. They're not reasoning. 
They serve only themselves. That spiritual side, that rational side of humanity has wasted away. They've become like that of irrational animals. Human, yes, just biologically, but spiritually, totally out of touch with God. Totally out of touch with even darkness. Living for the flesh, in the flesh, but in the end destroyed by their own destruction. And in their wrongdoing, they're suffering wrong themselves. Like I told you earlier in this message, I don't like sharing about this sort of thing. You know, why? Because Christians have a tough enough time around the Bay Area with what we're dealing with than to bring up more stuff. We have a tough enough time. We're accused of being narrow-minded and dogmatic and bigoted and intolerant and all these other things, and we don't have to do anything more to make things more challenging for us, do we? But this is what Peter wrote as his dying words to his church. These are his dying words that he's writing down. And he reminds us that God is righteous, he is just, and none of us can change that. And none of that has changed from when he wrote this letter a couple thousand years ago until today. The world around us is arguably more sensual than it ever has been, arguably more greedy than it ever has been, arguably more lawless than it ever has been. What used to be done in private is now done in public. Synonyms for sensuality are unbridled lust and shamelessness. What was once done behind closed doors is now done wide open. Unbridled lust, shameless. Look at verse 13. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deception while they feast with you. So this is totally contrary to what Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And, and so you see, their revelry is out in the wide open. They flaunt. They celebrate their sin in the name of freedom, which we're going to get to in a little later. Verse 14. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. See, their appetites for sin, they can't be satisfied. They're always on the prowl, and when they find those who are vulnerable, they prey on them. So back to that picture of a vulnerable child and a loving parent. Isn't Peter justified in reminding the church to be aware of such dangerous people because they're out there? We've met them, haven't we? These people are sensual. They're greedy, just looking out for themselves. Verse 15, forsaking the right way they have gone astray. In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, this is what the, the person who wrote that wrote. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Isn't this happening in the world today? We're forsaking God's way, we're going astray, and we're following what may seem right to us. And we want the way to God to be really, really broad. And as a confession to you, so do I. I wish it were so. I wish that everybody could come along. I wish that the way was really broad, but it's just not how the way it is. 
That's not the truth. I would be lying to you if I told you that the way is broad, because it's not, even though I want it to be. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. The gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. Those who find it are few. And whether we like this or not, this is how the world operates. This is not just talking about spiritual, heavenly things. I mean, this is how our world operates, doesn't it? If you want to practice law in the state of California, you have to pass the bar exam in California. No way around it. That's the only way. It's a really narrow gate. It's really hard. And if you look at the population of the world, or if you look at the amount of lawyers that we have in the world, which are many, there are only few that can practice in California. And each profession, each school, each opportunity has its respective gate, it has its respective way, and relative to the population, there are only a few that do that. So why do we think that the way to God is any different? Why do we put that in a different category when everything else in the world is such that the way is narrow and the gate is narrow? Why do people want to put a different standard on God? And just because we think something is right doesn't make it so. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. When I first moved over to the East Bay from San Francisco, it was very scary, I have to admit. I rented an apartment in Berkeley. I lived in a really nice place in San Francisco. I lived on Telegraph Hill, right below the Coit Tower. Had a view of all the bay and everything. But this church was starting out in the East Bay, so I felt like I needed to move out here, so I did. And so I'm not familiar with the East Bay at all at this point, except all my colleagues, when I asked them, hey, would you live over in the East Bay? They'd be like, oh, no, because most of them lived in San Francisco, in Marin, or on the peninsula. Nobody lived on the East Bay. They're like, no, why would you go there? And, oh, no, the devil's there or whatever. I don't <laughs> So I drive over from San Francisco with all of my stuff, which is not much stuff at all. It all fit into one carload, which at the time I had a VW diesel rabbit. And so and a legitimate diesel, by the way, not what's being made today. Anyway, so I got off on MLK on 51st Street, right? I exit off of 24, and I made a right turn. And then I made another right turn on Telegraph according to my printed MapQuest directions. And so this is how long ago it was. This is how long ago it was, right? We didn't have these fancy little gadgets. We printed maps, okay? And so we all know that if you make a right turn on Telegraph off of 51st, you are not going to Berkeley. Do we all know that? We all know this, right? You're not going to Berkeley. And back then, it was going into Temescal, and Temescal is not the Temescal of today, let me just tell you. That was straight up hood. And so I drove down Telegraph, and I keep driving. I'm like, this just doesn't seem like the apartment that I rented. And I keep on driving, and then I'm in downtown Oakland. And I'm there at night. And it's the like, second time I've been in the East Bay. And I'm thinking the whole time, MapQuest, come on. Like, 
And if it wasn't for Telegraph turning into Broadway on 15th Street, you know where the Oaklandish retail store is? Yes, it's a nice, awesome store. I would have kept going and I would have gone into Jack London Square and into the Bay. Like I would just, I just would have. Peter wrote his letter with you and I in mind. Be on alert for these false prophets, for these false teachers. It's for your benefit to be aware of them. It's not out of sensuality or greed, unlike it is for false prophets and teachers. And you look at what he wrote in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 17. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. We are warned by Peter because we are loved by God to stay on the right way and to not go astray. And our intent, our motivation can be completely right. I wanted to go to Berkeley. That's where I wanted to go. And our thoughts and our sense of direction may be very right. I put the right address in MapQuest and I got the right thing. But the fact is, we've gone astray. You can set up everything right. But in actuality, you're going the wrong direction. Now, how many people are living this way spiritually? And maybe it's you. In the Bay Area, it's very easy because our culture and our way of thinking supports this. Forsaking the right way, you have gone astray. Your motivation is right. Your intent is right. Everything that you're doing is fine in terms of the research, in terms of what you want to stand for. Truly believing that your way is the right way, but it's just simply not. It's not. Continuing on in verse 15. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing. Who was Balaam? Balaam was a Gentile prophet who Balak, the king, recruited because he saw that the Israelites were moving into his land. And before that, he saw some of his colleague kings get taken over by these Israelites. And so this story can be found in Numbers chapter 22. We don't have time to go through the whole thing. But he was someone, just to kind of summarize this, who led others to sin. And ultimately, it was for his own selfish gain. It was out of his greed. And it was Balaam who wasn't obedient to God. And God used a donkey to speak some sense to him. Now, just pause for a second and think about that God used a donkey to speak to Balaam. And in the story, it's not like Balaam goes like, A donkey's talking to me! He actually argues with the thing. (laughs) Get out of my way! And the donkey and him are having this dialogue with me. Dude, you're sick. Like... How can you be like fully talking to a donkey? I, for me, I would have ran the other way. I'm like, speaking donkey! Like I would have been like gone. Anyway, verse 16. But was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. He was indeed mad because if a speaking donkey speaks to you, you'd run. But no, you're arguing with it. He's definitely mad. Now, how many of us are this dense? Like Balaam. There's quite a few of us, by the way. There's quite a few of us who are really dense like this. 
that we need God to go to such extremes to get across something to us. How many of us have gone astray or we're already off the path and we're leading people down the wrong path, causing them to go astray? Are we these false teachers? Are we these false prophets? Are we these people who are doing these things? These are waterless springs and mist driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. Verse 17. Waterless springs, meaning they're empty. There's no water in there. What good is a waterless spring? Mist driven by a storm. Mist is very useful. It's a great way for plants to collect water. But they're useless when they're driven by a storm because... The storm is really the greater source of fresh water than this mist. So they just get pushed aside and the real stuff comes behind. They just kind of come and go. The gloom of utter darkness has been reserved for them. Verse 18. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. So these guys, these false teachers, false prophets, they talk big. They talk really big, and if you listen carefully, there's no spiritual substance in them. They just kind of talk big. And their lure is speaking to sensual passions. It's not of Jesus. And much of the world is attracted to this type of talk. Enticed by sensual passions more than spirituality. Isn't this what's happening in our world today? enticing of sensual passions. That's what people are touching on. Even our seminaries today are focused on sensual passions more than they are on theology. Go to one. Go to, just go visit one. Go to their community board and go see what's on their community board. Go see what seminars they're putting on, what workshops they're putting on. It's all about sensual passions. Not all of them. A lot of them. But you go on their board and that's what it is. An enticement of sensual passions. More so than any identity you and I have in Jesus. Go. I was just at one last month. Verse 19. They promise them freedom. But they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person to that, he is enslaved. Isn't this the promise of the world? Freedom. Freedom. This is the promise of the world. And the big thing nowadays, being sexually free. This is the huge one today. Be sexually free. False prophets, false teachers, they don't come telling you up front the darkness of their ways. Sometimes they don't even know that their way is dark because they're just kind of thinking that they're well-intended, they're going the right direction, but they're not. And what's happened is they've opened Pandora's box without any responsibility or accountability for what they're standing for. Not realizing that in their freedom, they've enslaved themselves to corruption. For whatever overcomes a person to that, he is enslaved. Please remember that statement. Please remember that statement. For whatever overcomes a person to that, he is enslaved. John chapter 8, verses 34 through 36. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. 
The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. We don't free ourselves from sin. Only Jesus can do that. It is a gift from God, a narrow gate, a narrow path. Now what is freedom? What is the definition of freedom? There is a definition out there that's floating about that freedom means that you do whatever you want to do. Whenever you want to do it, however you want to do it, that is freedom. And not denying any desire that you have. Do you hear the contradiction in that definition, though? That is impossible. Because if we use that definition, then your freedom eventually violates someone else's freedom. So how can that be? That does not make any sense. See, that is not freedom universal. Because your freedom violates someone else's freedom, so it can't be exercised. Freedom for the follower of Jesus means this. Not having to earn our own way to God anymore. That through Jesus, we are free from guilt, from condemnation, from penalty, from power, and eventually the presence of sin. That's our freedom. Not to do whatever you want whenever you want. That's an inconsistent, that's a contradictory definition. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And our freedom that we have in Jesus is not a self-indulgent one. We don't do whatever we want to do. It is not to appease every desire of our flesh. Paul wrote this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom for an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. This is what our freedom's for. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. This is what we use our freedom for. We don't use our freedom as an opportunity for the flesh or as a cover-up for evil, but through love, serving one another and living as servants of God. Verse 20. 2 Peter chapter 2. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. So Peter is clearly talking about people who have escaped the defilements of the world through knowing Jesus. People whose lives were changed and they aren't living the same way they used to live. That The way that they're living is different. So, for example, they used to get drunk all the time, but they don't do that anymore. They used to get high all the time, they don't do that anymore. Then a few months go by and a person is going back to getting high. And a person is going back to getting drunk. And people do this all the time. You and I have met them. And I think here's the issue. They were addicted to substance before, whatever that may be, and then they found church. And so rather than dealing with substance abuse, they just kind of transfer that substance abuse to church, and church is the new substance that they're addicted to. Have you met those people? I meet them a lot. 
and they're totally gung-ho at church and they totally want to serve and they totally want to do all this stuff, but what they're really doing is they're just substituting one addiction for another one without dealing with the problem. And we've seen a lot of people like this come through our church. And they look like they're totally transformed people, but it was just a transference of one self-indulgence to another form of self-indulgence. Even though it's a good one. Church is good. But you're not dealing with the real problem. And so the perceived holy and righteous living that we see them make in terms of this switch, it isn't sustained long term because their heart wasn't changed. It's just the behavior changed. But the heart didn't. And so when they return to those defilements of the world, it's worse. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandments delivered to them. These are really harsh words, aren't they? And sometimes these are really misinterpreted words as well. It seems that those who appear to be saved can find themselves in a position where it would have been better for them to never have known the way of righteousness. It would have been better to remain ignorant of the ways of God rather than knowing the gospel, making some changes, just to go back to the way that they were. And it's not because of some spiritual reason that I think. This is what I think. I think it's because once you decide to go back, it's done. And this is what I mean by this. It's not to say that you're beyond the reach of God. I believe God can reach anybody. But if you've already turned your back on God before, and you've done it multiple times, it gets easier. And so if you've done it four times, it's easier than someone that's never done it at all. The divorce statistics kind of prove this, don't they? I'm not talking down to anybody who's been divorced. Your reasons may have been legitimate or whatever. I'm just saying in terms of statistics, if you've been divorced once, you double the percentages of being divorced twice than someone who's never been divorced at all. And those statistics double each time, the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth, each time you get married. It's just, those are the statistics. Similarly to, I think, in denying God and moving in the ways of God that the more that you've switched over like this, the easier it is. Verse 22. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit and the sow after washing herself returns to wallow in the mire. They're more animal. They're more biological than they are godly and spiritual because they're living for their flesh. They're living for their desires. They're living for their survival. And at one point, there was a desire for change. There's this repentant heart, but they returned to what they really never left. They go back to their vomit. They go back to the mud. Again, not a pleasant message to share. Not something I'd choose on my own. It's so important for us to look at, to study. We need to be reminded that the final work of our relationship with God was all done by Jesus. To be reminded that there are false teachers, there are false prophets amongst us. To discern between what is true and what is false is not always easy. And so how much we need the Holy Spirit, how much we need the Bible to guide us. And if we find ourselves in a place where we profess Jesus as our Lord, but we don't live as though our profession is true, 
while hearing the word of God, we don't do the word of God, where we worship God in song, but in acting, we're worshiping ourselves. Then aren't we just being hypocrites? Are we just being like the sow or the dog returning to the vomit? James chapter 1, verses 22 through 24, but be doers of the word and not hearers, only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and once forgets what he was like. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Peter loves the church, he loves the followers of Jesus, and he issued a serious warning to us regarding false teachers and false prophets, just like we would do for those whom we love. We would do the same thing. Here's something to ask yourself regarding teachers and prophets when they're teaching, when they're prophesying. Is it all about Jesus? Because if it isn't, you have to watch out. Whatever someone asks you to do regarding spirituality, this is something to ask yourself too. Did Jesus do it? Did Jesus teach it? Did the early church do it? Did the early church teach it? Look at the book of Acts. Is it taught, is it done by the Apostle Paul through the epistles? And so those are just a few filters you can use so that you don't get caught up in false teachings and false prophets. Did Jesus teach it? Did the early church teach it? Does Paul teach it? Three really simple filters. Let me close with this. Acts chapter 20, verses 28 through 30. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to take care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Church, please be careful. So many things sound good but we need to stick with Jesus, the early church, Paul, and the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your examples in the archangel Michael, in Peter, in Paul, in the early church. And Father, we ask, Lord, that you would increase our ability to discern between what is true and what is false. We are so easily to go astray, thinking that the direction that we're going is right, even though our heart seems to be in the right place and our intent and our motivation seem to be in the right place, but they're simply wrong. Could you please show us where we've gone astray? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.